Okay, so I can even lean back, and I know when I'm talking, I always yeah, just, tend to sit up. So what I would say is just make sure you um, speak loudly and clearly, um, and let's make well. I probably need to watch out more for this, but let's make sure we're both uh, in in the frame. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm. You're good. I don't think good. I I can go on. You're good. Let me get. Do you, are, will you need water while we're? Got it. Oh, okay, you got it right there. Yeah. yeah cool. Let me pour myself. This is gonna be fun. For both of us, I hope. <laughs> All right. Um, so welcome, Ivor. Um, I just. Uh, want to know a little bit about how um, your your childhood, you know, where were you born and what was your your childhood like? Okay, yeah. Hello, Jefferson. Thanks for the, the invite. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, um, I was born right here in Liberia, in Buchanan. And as I was joking, you know, I'm a Lamco baby. You know, my dad was contracted to Lamco, who's a Norwegian guy. And he met my mother in Buchanan. Um, you know, they got married. I was born and raised there. And uh, yeah, when I was about five, then my father moved to Bong Mining Company. So we moved okay. up to Bong Mines. Uh, so we joined that community. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, life back then was pretty good here. Okay, so do you, um, when did you leave from Liberia to, I, I presume you, from your accent, you must have gone somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I mean, Liberia was home for me. Uh, and when I was around 10 years old, uh, you know, I went abroad for schooling, you know, because uh, my father wanted the best education possible. You know, he was a strong believer in that, so he decided the British education system was the best at the time. Uh, so that's where I went to boarding school. And then all of my holidays, I would come back to Liberia or visit relatives, that kind of thing. But um, every Christmas I was back here with my oh, family. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so you maintain pretty good ties with Liberia. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, my mother is from Cape Mount. And her parents are from just across the border in Sierra Leone. So, yeah, I mean, from when I was a kid, you know, every few months, we were in the back of the pickup over to Bowwater Side Simi and around uh, uh, to Kenemabo, that area where my grandparents were. So, yeah, I'm quite used to it. Okay. Yeah. So, when you, you went to you, you school in, in the, the UK, um, what what did you what did you study when you went to university or college? Uh, uh, management economics, and uh, I was one of these. I was a little bit maybe you could say cheeky or overconfident for my own good. I didn't even finish university. Okay. Um, oh wow! Really? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I was a little bit bored with education. You know, I did my stuff. Uh, Where did you stop? When you say you didn't finish. Okay, um, I applied, I went to university, read the professor's books, 
and after that it was kind of boring you felt like you learned everything after yeah. you read the books <laughs> well not now and after i mean not much is not much is okay. said outside of the books you know okay and i was kind of a independent thinker so you know i went to look around but i presumed even uh, though that happened you were able to get a job after after your experience with college right yeah yeah um you know, I took time out and, uh, yeah, I ended up in the army for some time. Okay. Um, because, you know, I wanted adventure. I wanted to go around the world, see things. And, and which army did you end up with? Uh, not, normally, I wouldn't talk about that because it precludes <laughs> a lot of ideas, you know. And, you, you know, to be honest, it's... Uh, it's a part of my life that, you know, was a phase. It wasn't a defining phase, okay. but, you know, with, with, uh, when you talk to people, particularly people who don't know me, yeah. that's something that kind of hitches in their head and they see me, you know, more as a soldier than as a businessman or someone who's trying to do something very different. Okay. Do you understand? Yeah. All right. <laughs> nice way to evade that question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's, it's not an evasion, but, um, you know, I just feel uh, through all of my life experience, uh, it's brought me to the point where I've come back home. And I feel that if, if there was anything interesting about me, it's basically that, you okay. know. Um, so let's let's get into um, what you were doing when you started conceiving of the idea of organic matters mm -hmm. like how um, I presume you were still back um, maybe you were somewhere abroad right yeah yeah I was working uh, for a defense logistics company based out of Switzerland or oh, actually two one in Philadelphia one in Switzerland um, I was consulting for them and uh, you know I'd been doing that work for now 10 years um, and it's a high stress job you know, so actually at the time I took a, a sabbatical in 2012 and during that period I spent, uh, what was it, six months here in Liberia. Okay. You know, it was the first real opportunity for me to come back home. Things had quietened down to the point where you could say, okay, stability and peace has been achieved in a sense that we're not going to regress backwards. You know, if, if anything, just by the fact that you know, here in Liberia, we are tired of that kind of conflict. And I don't, I, I think no matter how bad it gets, I, I don't think people want to go back to that. Yeah. Um, so that gave me the confidence to actually come home and see what had happened to the place, what was going on in the place, and what were the immediate needs. Uh, in my heart, I've always wanted to come back home. I mean, that was clear to me from when we left because, you know, I didn't volunteer to leave Liberia. Okay. I loved my life in Liberia. I was very connected to it. All my friends, family, everything. This was home, you know, and literally overnight, home just disappeared uh, with no choice or no opportunity to make somewhere else home. You know, it's kind of like being exiled. You're sort of sent somewhere to survive without resources. You know, that's how it felt. Um, and, you know, I think the question you were asking me about, you know, the, the military and so forth, you know, that's a definite factor that sent me in that direction, you know. Um, I, I kind of didn't want to put roots down anyway. You know, I was determined at some point to come back home, and okay. I always have been. 
um, which is one of the reasons I'm here now. I mean, if I had like some huge mortgage and three kids and that kind of thing, <laughs> it's still doable, but it's a yeah. lot more complex, yeah. you understand? So I, I didn't put down roots for the deliberate reason that I, you know, I didn't want to grow old somewhere else in the world. Okay. You know, I needed to come home. Why? Um, why? It's, uh, <clears throat> I, I love Liberia. You know, I love my childhood. I loved everything about growing up here and being here. Interesting. Mm. So, so in 2012, you came back and then mm. what, I mean, what did you see? Yeah. Um, uh, I was in shock, you know, literally. Um, the place was poverty stricken, you know. Uh, and why, why were you in shock? I mean, you can you can easily Google Liberia and see that back in the days, like I mean, not even back in the days, few few years ago. I mean, when you Google Liberia, you see a lot of um, images of poverty. There's a lot of poverty porn out there about mm -hmm. Liberia. So, mm -hmm. what exactly? Why why were you shocked? It, it doesn't sink in when it's on TV. Okay. <clears throat> you know, and you don't relate it personally. It's not people you know on that TV screen that are in poverty. When you do come back and you see people, you know, and that's where they are, then it hits, you know? And, uh, you know, I went back to Bong Mines. I went down to Buchanan uh, to look at my old stomping grounds, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, I thank God I was very happy to have sort of gone the full circle and gotten back home. So. In a sense, I was very happy, but also at the same time, you know, I remember when I saw my, my old house in Bong Mines, I mean, you know, I was in quite a lot of pain to look at it. Why? It was a, <clears throat> I had a lot of happy memories there from when I was a kid. And when I looked at it, it was gone. So the structure is still there? Yeah. But it's just somehow dilapidated? It's completely, um, it's lost all of its luster. It's lost, it's lost all of the intrinsic value that was there. It was even hard to relate the memories to the place I saw. Okay. Um, and, you know, I spoke to the people who were living in there a little bit. And, you know, even to communicate with them was very difficult. Why is it? You know? They were kind of shut down. You know, I, I find that uh, over here people are kind of shut down because, you know, life is hard. And if you get used to hard, you get shut down. You know, you get desensitized to things. You get hardened to other things in order to survive. And that's not always a good thing because when you start shutting down, you're playing with your perception, your thinking, your whole cognition of the situation around you. And you see, it's very important that a person can problem solve and reason their way out of uh, personal issues uh, that, that are stopping them from moving forward. You understand? So it's very important that a person isn't sort of uh, brutalized or life isn't putting them under that amount of pressure where they've just got to do it on a day-to-day -day -day basis. And that was very evident here. And that's one of the saddest things I see that there's so many immediate needs, even felt needs that are not met, that you cannot get this person's attention for five minutes. Okay. 
So 2012, you see all this sadness, you see all the, the poverty. Hmm. I mean, why would you, how, how, how do you leap from, from that to, okay, I, I got to go into agriculture? Okay. Um, well, I mean, the first step was uh, I was determined to come back. Uh, but you know, you have to come back with a plan. How do you sustain yourself when you're here? What, you know, uh, there's always going to be bills to pay. You want to try and maintain your standard of life. You don't want to get sick without, you know, being able to, to help yourself. Um, so there were all of those concerns. Um, and myself, um, you know, I, I didn't have like a lot of land and lots of families still back here. Uh, that I could just fall back on. So I really had to think very carefully about how the rubber can meet the road. You know, you can have a great idea, but if if, if you have bad modeling, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and agriculture is, I mean, that's the primary economy, you know, and I was looking at inputs right. into the agricultural sector. Why? Which, why? Why would you look at that? Like, I mean, I mean out of all things, well, number one, uh, I, I've developed the skill sets to be able to, to evaluate that and to be able to train people to help me in the production. So you, you, you had worked in the agriculture sector before? Yes. Okay, so but, tell me a little um, bit about that. What, what, what type of experience did you have? Okay, that, that was really, that was when I was in the army. You know, oh. doing a lot of, uh, I mean, I think they classify it these days as counterinsurgency work. With you know, agriculture? Yeah, it's a way in. Hearts and minds, you know. Okay, you're okay, out okay, there, okay, okay, okay. and uh, you join in, and uh, you know it's in, it's interesting. But when you go to most parts of the world, and I did a lot of operations in South America, um, you know, you have the indigenous uh, tribes that are there, and their farming is exactly what we do here. You know, it, it doesn't really change from where you go. I mean, yeah, the variables change, but the you know the principles that are applied at the same. So I had a lot of practice doing that. And also when I was in school in the UK, um, you know, over there they take their gardening and growing of vegetables and flowers quite seriously. So, you know, I had some friends that uh, I learned from okay. who were seriously good, seriously well informed. And they got me started reading literature. I used to ask too many questions. They got tired answering all these questions, so they started just giving me materials to read. I'd read through the stuff, um, uh, and it's always good <clears throat> when you're trying to grapple and understand something to actually be doing it yeah. practically as well, because then it makes sense. You know, the dry theory makes sense. Um, so I don't have like a formal education in agriculture, but. Um, up to date with uh, academia, I would even say well ahead of them in certain aspects because uh, with microbial farming or Liberian natural farming, uh, the process, the microbial process of farming which underlies organic farming, that's the basis of organic farming, it's, uh, it's something that's kind of regional because you're dealing with climate and topography temperature variations between day and night, rate of composting, that kind of thing. So if you're an expert in Montana at doing this, you cannot just come to Liberia and be an expert there. You understand you're going to have to come here and relearn your subject, which is what I did. It, um, 
when I initially came down, it took me a good nine months to grapple with things. At some stages, I thought, wow, this is really different. I've made a big mistake. I can't get this thing to work. But, you know, eventually, through trial and error and, you, you know, analyzing <coughs> the, the variations of the processes here, you do, you do come down to the mark. So when, when, you, when you first put your plans down together, what, what was the conception of it in, in your mind? I'm going to come here and start an agriculture inputs um, uh, business. Uh, what, what, what exactly did um, you No, it was production. Mind? It was production. Because you see, the thing is, if, if you're looking at a, a situation developmentally on a national level, you know, you've got to go through the steps. There's agriculture. I mean, if you look at the, the primary economy, it's agriculture. And it's, it's such for a reason. You know, people much smarter than myself designated that as the primary economy because that's where you deal with food. You know, and if people can't eat, there's not much point in anything else. Even shelter is less important than food. You know, and then after that, you get into manufacturing, construction then services and so forth. But um, there can't be any real development without stability in agriculture and food supply for a country. So, and objectively that's correct. Whether people agree with it or not, I mean, if they disagree with it and they go around it in different ways, they might meet with some successes, but ultimately, you're pressing against the tide in an extreme fashion because the ground will constantly be falling out from under your plans because there is an immediate felt need for food and stable food prices which affect all aspects of a person. I mean, if you are worried that you don't have money in your pocket sufficient to feed yourself for a few days, you're not really going to think in any kind of long-term way that's going to really limit you. And in Liberia, that's a huge problem. You know, guys are just surviving a few days at a time. And it's kind of hand to mouth. And you can't improve your standard of life until you start planning for the future. You understand? And that can't be done without agriculture being completely stable. So, um... And inputs is the way for someone to grapple with that problem. Yes. So you, you, you decided to start this company. Um, did you start with the name Organic Matters? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, how much did you start with? What was your, your startup funds that you, you thought you needed? Okay. Um, off, off, I wanted to get as much as possible. But, uh, I mean, the whole thing would have been much easier if I was like a millionaire, you know? <laughs> we all say um, that. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, but I mean, uh, uh, in, in a way, having the limitation of my investment forced me to get much more creative. Uh, my passion is really biogas. That's something I'm very interested in. Uh, but you see, that would have been putting the cart in front of the horse here in Liberia. I mean, there's aspects where it can be applied successfully, but agriculture needed to be the first. And the limitations of my initial investment uh, restricted me to that. Okay. So I had enough money to come down to Liberia develop the unit product, the organic fertilizer, one unit of it, and study very carefully the process it takes to make that and train people to assist me to make more. Okay. Okay, so that that took nine months. So how, how much was that, like that you started with? How much money? Yeah. Oh, it was just over $50,000. 
Okay. It would have been a bit more, but Ebola broke out just before I came, so I kind of got caught on the hop. I had all oh, my wow. stuff. So go- you you just started very recently. Yeah, 2015. Wow. Okay. June June 2015, <laughs> I I got here. So how how did you get that that money? Uh, I begged, borrowed, sold everything from friends or family. Uh, well, it, there was a particular friend okay. uh, in Norway I had, uh, and you, you know, in Norway you get many people that just have this image of Africa and they're just completely in love with it. And he was also, uh, he's a businessman, Okay. Uh, his name is Alex, and he was also a very good friend. And I used to talk to him about the trip when I came down in 2012 and I looked around and that kind of thing. And. Uh, you know, he encouraged me to start writing a plan, a business plan. And it took a while because, you know, it's it's hard to get information about Liberia. So it's hard to make plans. Um, so quite often you're using variables from and models from other countries, which are similar in some particular regard to Liberia, just to try and simulate what would be on the ground here. So it took a while to write uh, a business plan which I could trust and uh, and apply. And similarly with the working business model, you know, there was so much unknown, you know, I mean, where are these farmers that are going to buy this product? How do you find them? You know, even when I came on the plane and I saw all these little farms just scattered with the rainforest all in between it, I thought, my goodness, you know. (laughs) My goodness, what have you gotten yourself into? (laughs) But by then it was too late anyway. And you see, that's one of the other things. I mean, I committed to doing this. I put everything I had into it. You know, know, there's nothing to go back to. You understand? And I knew I had to do that because I'm going to get pushed out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm going to get challenged in ways that I don't want to be challenged. And I'm going to have to accept things that I don't want to accept. And if you had a plan B, you'd run away. That's what would happen. You get beaten up so much that eventually you'd give up and run away. So I knew I had to cut that kind of line in order to make it. I knew it was going to be that tough here, you know, and uh, I did so. And that's a large part of the reason why I'm here. I mean, between that and a a couple of other factors uh, that were unpredictable, it's helped me out. So what was the first product that you you started with? I, I had to find the most practical, efficient way of making soil conditioning compost. Okay. Uh, so it was the basic composting uh, uh, process, which is uh, you layer organic material, organic matters. You layer <laughs> green and brown, basically nitrogen and carbon, okay. and you get those two those two uh, 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 materials reacting. Okay, how they react is, is just basically decomposition, but it's called composting because, you know, the, the human effect of speeding up that process, it's a natural process, so it would happen without me, yeah. but we speed it up because, you know, we're not going to wait around for four or five years for something to turn rotten. Um, so, yeah, I had to find out how to compost here. And you see, th- this is uh, one of those things, you know, if you're an expert at composting somewhere else, you won't be here you will have to come here and relearn it. What's the difference here? Well, the difference here is uh, a lot of the green bush is very low in nitrogen. Okay. You understand? And that makes the the carbon-nitrogen ratio in the compost pile completely different. 
you know, if you are in Europe, you can use, put it like this, you'd use a ratio of 20, 25, 30 to 1. Of, you'd have 30 parts of brown carbon material, and you'd have one part of green nitrogen material, and you could get a composting reaction started there. But in Liberia, no, it's completely different. It's surprisingly different. And you know, I only discovered that because somehow I experimented for nine months and I tried things that were completely unusual. Uh, well, that didn't take nine months, but the product, developing okay. the, the finished product took nine months. So when did you first start selling? Okay, uh, that was just when my money ran out, when the investment <laughs> ran out. And thank goodness, because I was like down to five bucks. And okay. uh, I even had to have a careful debate as to whether this first client would pay and I would have enough money to put gas in the car and get back home because we were just piloting this yeah. to make sure it was all right um, and uh, the first the first sort of sale was in December okay. of 2015, 2015 okay. yeah and um, it was to a restaurant with a garden and uh, the owner of the restaurant was you know was very encouraging very keen with organic foods and organic farming techniques and that kind of thing. So he became a bit of a fan of the company. Um, and yeah, he purchased the first bag. You know, we, I have a plaque at his restaurant. I took a picture of the check. I was so proud of it. Thank God and no witnesses. <laughs> it was great. I, yeah, I managed to get back home. So okay. that was good too, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and you, you know, it's actually surprising because at the nine month mark, I had a container coming in with rural production equipment, uh, which I needed if I was going to make a, a production line, a sort of small production line for this product. So, you know, when a container is coming here, you have to make preparations and it's going to cost you something to get out. So I had assigned my last bit of money to that and I really didn't have anything to operate with. So I was kind of in one of these uncomfortable positions. Like I told you, pushed right out of the box, you know, you're just uh, not happy with the situation you're in. Um, but, uh, you know, everything came. I had to borrow some money to clear the container, that kind of thing. And back then, uh, it was very fortunate, the former president sent out an executive order, so agricultural oh, yes. inputs were yeah. duties free, which completely saved me. That, wow. was, that was just great timing. Yeah, so I got most of this stuff. I had to pay duties on a few things like generators and yeah. water pumps, which, you know, are a bit borderline. But the majority of the equipment came through because it was could only be used for agriculture. And yeah, that got me set up. I had some guys trained at that point. And, you know, from the first sale, you know, word kind of got out because you can imagine my marketing department was non-existent. Uh, but word got out. So, you know, every week or twice a week, I got a call and someone purchased this and purchased that and purchased. And, and who were your customers? Was there still people who uh, owned restaurants and places like that? Um, well, it was just, uh, it, it turned out at the beginning, it was just uh, friends and friends of friends who knew what I was doing. And you'd be surprised how many people enjoy gardening and farming in Liberia. So it just, there, there was this like ripple effect going on. And that actually carried the company for quite a that distance. That was enough to sustain your operations? Yeah. I mean, okay, we literally could not make a sale, carry it to the bank and put it in because quite often we needed to put gas in the car to even get back. Wow. So, I mean, we were really borderline yeah. to, to just break apart. 
but yeah, yeah, it's sustained the business and Organic Matters has been sustaining me and those who work for it uh, from the nine month mark onwards. And we've never had funding or donor money or stuff like that. We've only, we're a commercial company, commercial enterprise. That's, uh, we only receive revenues that we sell. So, um, were you taking salary at that time? No. Okay. No. So, uh, so how are you? How are you sustaining yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I just just food, gas, and water. Okay. Yeah, for like uh, a year and a half, going to two years. Yeah, but that's what it takes, Jefferson. It's a. Uh, you know, I mean, at the bottom, at, at the end of the day, if you want to do something, it's just going to be a lot of really hard work. So this is interesting because um, uh, I am somebody who came from abroad also. So I kind of um, uh, I'm curious, how was this uh, perception? How did librarians perceive you, especially somebody who was coming from abroad mm -hmm. and you were here, right? And yeah. you you're struggling to make this business work. Oh yeah, and people assume. I'm assuming people assume that you're some rich man or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. So how, <laughs> how 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 was that? That's one of those other situations <laughs> that pushes you right out of your comfort zone. I mean, you, you know, it's. I, I actually I've got the same problem now because the company has made a lot of investments in infrastructure, and one of the things we we needed was a lot more fluidity in our logistics between our processes. So we we bought vehicles. You know, so I have more of a boss man's car these days is sitting downstairs and it's new <laughs> and try convincing someone here that you're actually nigh on penniless when you're driving a new car. I mean, it's even harder than back then. Um, but yeah, it uh, that was difficult. And, you know, having people seeing you and having this sort of uh, sense that, you know, you're rich, you are here and you got to give some up. It made things very difficult. Um, but, you, you know, part of the reason I'm trying to make this company is to meet those immediate felt needs that can change people's behaviors because they start thinking about the future. I mean, I had the problem with my workers at the beginning. I had huge, huge problems with those guys because they weren't turning up ready for work. Okay. You understand? Their whole mentality was wrong. Their attitude towards me and what they were doing was wrong. They weren't ready to learn. You know, it, it, in Liberia, I tend to find there's a very adversarial relationship between people who are seen as, you, you know, uh, trying to manage a business or an operation and people who work yeah. for that business and operation. And that's something I was very conscious of before I came down to try and eliminate from the company. So, Are you I mean, successful? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I've got a good culture established in the company. Um, I mean, every Tuesday, exactly where we're sitting, you know, we sit around and all the leads, the supervisors, the managers, the program manager, that sort of thing, we all sit around the table and we go through our schedule from last week, the week to come, what's up, where problems are, they have inputs into decisions. It's their company as much as it's mine. So how many employees do you have at this moment? Uh, well, you know, to say employees would be tricky. Okay. You understand? And the reason is, you, you know, people do not knock on the gate 
and say, uh, you know, boss, uh, here's my CV. I want a job. Here are my references. I'm great at natural farming. I understand microbial farming. That's just not in existence. Why not? But I mean, why not? I mean, you you could just put up an ad for uh, people with that experience, that uh, the type of experience you're looking for, right? Mm, no, no. It's it's kind of a new field of study, even academically. You know, it's only recent uh, that. Uh, the sort of mainstream of academia has been looking into microbial farming. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of reasons for that, but one of the main ones is uh, the main component of NPK, chemical fertilizer. There's a very is limited that supply. N. NPK. Yeah, NPK. What does that stand for? Nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate. Okay. And phosphate, which, if I remember correctly, is uh, mined mainly in Western Sahara, Morocco, that sort of region. No more. There's no new deposits that have been discovered for so long now that they practically know that that's it. So it's about six years, and even NPK will be phasing out. So you know the whole world has to think about a, a different way to manage soil and fertility issues. The whole culture has to change, um, and that's why it's getting more study now. You understand? But I mean, in Liberia locally, I mean, there, there's a tradition of organic farming here. You know, if you go to a rubber plantation, they still make booms where they bury all the sort of organic waste and detritus, cover it with soil, you know, and, you know, the rainy season comes, the dry season comes, it composts great, and then they dig it up and they use that in the nursery bags for their saplings. So there is a tradition of it. I mean, it's, but it's kind of like my papa's tradition. You understand? There's a lot more information now and a lot slicker ways of doing things. So, so how 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 then did you start? Um, how did you and how do you look for employees? Employees? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in the initial phases, we were doing very very physical work. You know, I needed guys who could go, you know, down into a swamp waist deep in water and push a wheelbarrow full of muddy seaweed out of it. Um, so, you know, that takes a certain, you know, to do that the whole day. And I used to have to go down there and do it with them. You understand? Because I didn't want this nasty culture in my company. So, I mean, we did that rain, sun and shine. Um, so it took a certain character. I mean, the fall off rate was huge. You know, some guys would come to work for one or two days. And then the next day it was like, oh, boss man, I get this problem, oh, boss man. And they just quietly sort of disappeared because the work was hard. There's no shortcuts. There's no hiding. The company's way too small. So only people who were really kind of determined stuck to it. And I think they realized that, you know, I would make all haste to train them and compensate them for their time. You understand? As they were learning until they can get to full capacity and actually offer service to the company because now they can operate. And I mean, now I would say uh, we're opening a store. When we open the store, that's when we can categorically say this guy works for organic matters, which okay. means we're not training him. Uh -huh. You understand? He okay. knows how to carry out processes and operations and functions within the company correctly. You understand? And that's taken years of training. But yeah, it's... So, so um, you started with uh, that one product that you mentioned. Um, what, what, what are all the products that you, oh, yeah. and services that you offer now? Yeah, I mean, we, we've uh, diversified for a few reasons. 
uh, we've been interacting with a lot of farms. So we kind of understand the dynamics that are going on out there. So we know what our clients need, apart from just products, what services they also need. Um, there's a knowledge gap to breach with the product, but also, you know, your farming technique has to be spot on for it to even work. You know, so th there's a lot of uh, support that needs to go into the technical sale of this product, which makes it difficult. And we've had to be very fluid and creative going forward. Um, in the initial phases to, to step the company sales up, we had to become our own clients. So we did a lot of landscaping, and agricultural engineering, and things like that. Um, well, what is that in with order agriculture to, engineering? Agricultural engineering, okay. Um, I mean, this is something that uh, in Liberia is very, very practical, is very relevant. Uh, agricultural engineering is, it's like construction engineering, but it's using organic solutions. Or you can say, if you build a road, you need to keep the foundations under that road. So there's a need for something called slope stability. Okay, so you would plant certain types of grasses to avoid uh, the instability that could be caused by, you know, excessive rainfall or the difference in the hardness of the cement or the kotar when it borders the soil. You know, that point of erosion needs protection. Otherwise, ultimately, your road is going to get undermined, it's going to break. Or, consequently, if you're in a valley and you have a steep hill by the side of your road, I mean, what's going to stop that hill coming down on your road and everything just turns into some nasty little dusty road, which is quite unnecessary. It's the vegetation at the side. So what's the, what's the most interesting agriculture engineering um, uh, problem that you have worked with in Liberia? Ah, okay. Um, well, uh, there's there's been a couple. I mean, we did a lot of work at the hydropower station up in White Plains, Mount Coffee, okay. uh, which was really challenging because we were really far out in the bush and, um, you know, I'm training my guys at the same time as doing this. I mean, I was living up there. Uh, but I would say the most interesting one <clears throat> is some anti-erosion landscaping for slope stability that we did uh, for the Liberia Maritime Training Institute. They're right there down in Marshall. And it's the sort of uh, convergence of the two river, the Po and the junk. They just hit and all of that water is knocking on the side of their compound. So. When I got there, the general manager, he was, you know, uh, Liska had invested a lot in this place uh, through funds. It's the best school, one of the best schools in Liberia, I think, right now. Uh, but what they had done, which is the mistake a lot of people do, is they just went and brushed the whole area. So the, the ground, the sandy ground that was there, was now exposed to all the elements. You know, so what happens? Rainy season comes. This water filters very quickly through the top one and a half feet of sand, which is loose sand. So the water just ran through it and then it hit harder packed sand underneath. So it backed up like a traffic jam. Okay. And that, that's a, a, a phenomenon that you call uh, liquefaction. Okay, basically water backs up, it sits on the surface and once it covers the surface of the ground totally, the ground effectively uh, uh, starts acting like a liquid in its fluid dynamic effects. So it's basically it's gonna run away. You know, you get mudslides, landslides, that kind of thing. And their compound was just falling into the river. It was incredible. Chunks of it got lost. 
Palava Hearts almost going down the hill, that kind of thing. So we got in there just in time. We saw this going on, and of course, that was the first thing we had to do. It was, you know, it was the deep in the rainy season, so it wasn't the ideal time, but we had to find, you know, that was another challenge. We found a way around it, found new applications for some of our products, like humic acid, um, so we could get this stuff into the ground really quick. And uh, yeah, we did it. Um, I still go out there quite a lot uh, because we followed through with the maintenance. Um, yeah, and the rainy season that just went by now, not a grain of sand fell into the river, not from that compound anyway. So yeah, it works, you know, and what other solution would they have found? You couldn't build some kind of river wall or sea wall or something like that. It would have been impossible. They would have lost a great school. You know, and the thing is, if you're going to invest millions of dollars in building something, a road, a school, a bridge, something like that, uh, it's important to have that category, especially in Liberia, because when we get rain here, we get serious rain. And when it's dry here, it's very dry and it's going to compact the ground. And then that deluge is going to follow straight afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, you've got all kinds of sheet erosion taking place, huge amounts of uh, runoff water, hydraulic action, that kind of thing. So it's a necessary measure. And you can see any road, even new ones, you know, the Caldwell Road, that was new a few years ago. I mean, some parts of that, you almost need a bridge to get up onto the road because they don't have slope stability. So the foundations aren't staying under the road, you know. It's a, it's a factor that needs to be considered in all construction work in Liberia. And I hope that, you know, through the new functions that the company now has with the website and that kind of thing, we can get that message out there so that people actually don't get in trouble. And it's actually interesting because, you know, any kind of contract that's done in Liberia, there, there always is maintenance. You, are, you will be responsible for the maintenance of this for four years or six years or 10 years or whatever. And you see, once the construct is done, if you actually take care of the agricultural engineering aspect, your maintenance is nigh on done. You know, so I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you must be like the only company providing this service in Liberia. Uh, currently, yeah. I mean, we're part of the international Vetiver networks. You okay. know, so th this is a, it's a group that's centered around a particular plant that has huge anti-erosion uh, capabilities. It roots like a tree, basically. Um, but yeah, in Liberia, we are the only ones doing it. I mean, ultimately. I'm hoping that most construction companies will have someone, you know, some kind of surveyor or one of their engineers. Okay. It's not hard to learn, you know, uh, someone who's already a trained engineer can pick up on this pretty so quickly. So are you, are you reaching out to push, um, to train construction companies to, to do these things? Yeah, absolutely. We want to do that. Um, it's kind of like uh, partnering up with them. Okay. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of education and marketing that needs to go into that and we're just at the stage where we do have that function and we can reach out to people in that kind of way so yeah we're doing our best to team up with them i mean right now you know when we come across a client that has this need uh we do the installation okay. you know but uh it would be better if construction companies doing large projects knew this category and could have this function and I mean we've got the nursery so we grow the stuff and we're linked in with all the outgrowers and things like that so you know 
we do the agricultural work in the aspect of, you know, we farm, propagate, that kind of thing. And then they can do their part. But we were talking about, uh, you asked me a question about products, yeah. and I kind of wandered off. Um, we have the, you know, the unit of what we term as organic fertilizer, although that's, we call it that so people recognize what it is. Okay. You know, we do microbial farming, which works, it, it's a biological action, it's not a chemical action. You so know it's different I mean? than... I mean, so, so it's, it's, it's a misnomer? It's, is that what well, no, it's kind of helpful. I mean, we have dosages. People have to be able to recognize the product and to use it in a way that they can relate to and understand to. It's no point coming a business like you're coming from Mars. You're just going to give yourself a problem. Okay. So we make it more user-friendly by making it more recognizable. So I also hear, I've heard a lot of people talk about your, you have some type of tea I, oh, yeah. I actually heard yeah. friends saying, oh, I want to get that um, that uh, organic tea or something like that. Yeah. Well, I what think, exactly is that? Okay. That's a, that's a product we call IMO compost tea. Okay. The IMO stands for indigenous microorganisms. Um, yeah. I, I mean, compost tea is made from the unit of organic fertilizer, kind of like you see in a tea bag. So we put uh, this fertilizer into a bag. We add minerals, we aerate the water it's in, that kind of thing. Uh, we go through a, a whole lot of trouble disappearing far into the forest to trap and capture microbes. Uh, there's a lot of uh, reverse osmosis, a lot of extraction processes from, you know, things as far apart as palm wine, fish bones, all that kind of thing to get solutions oh, wow. which are useful okay. in agriculture. And we blend that into a solution which has a superbly high population concentration of uh, microbes and a very diverse spectrum. And what that does is, I mean, the way we sort of term it, it works almost like a liquid fertilizer. Um, but that that is a bit of a misnomer because what it is, it's a solution where we've got nutrients yeah. which are soluble and they can be entered into the soil quickly along with the microbes that will link that nutrient to the plant's root very quickly, very efficiently, cheaply, and you can do it on a wide scale. So the, the, and it has an immediate impact. So the, is, that, is that usually uh, purchased by people who have house plants and uh, some type of plants around their yard? Mm, I mean, it's something that uh, if you have any form of cultivation whatsoever, uh, we would always recommend take this, spray it fortnightly, if you can, over your entire area that's cultivated, whether that's a farm or a garden, anything. It, 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 will, it will enhance all the, the functions in bacteria, fungal qualities of the soil. Uh, the plants will be able to get nutrients from further and further away. Uh, the healthiness of the garden will increase, so the plants will be able to defend themselves from pests. Um, and basically, all the other inputs that fit in around that sort of build on that platform. So, and you see the interesting thing with microbes. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about microscopic uh, uh, creatures, animals. And once they're there, they're there. You know, it's quite hard to kill these guys. They're very tough. But you definitely want them working for you, you know. Um, 
And once you enter this input into your area, whether it's your farm or your garden, it's there for nigh on life. You understand? So the more the better. Yeah. So, so um, we've talked about all these uh, products and services that you offer. Is, is the company uh, profitable at this stage? No. no. Wow. It's not profitable yet. Well, uh, no, not 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 profitable in the sense that uh, it's not mature to be fundamentally established in a sense that you can sit down at the end of the month okay. and you do your cost analysis, your cost sales analysis, and you can sort of see, okay, we have this much going out and that much coming in. The the basic uh, history of organic matters is, you know, the company started in 2015. We worked hard all the way up to 2018. Any bit of money we could save, we saved. What we needed to use, we used. We saved as much as possible so that we could invest in our own infrastructure and in our own personnel to get the company's operations up to a level where you can say, this is no longer a product that's being piloted by a couple of cowboys in a pickup to this, you know, this is a company where they've got a superb, sophisticated product. They have great marketing reach. They have uh, sales, they have logistics, okay. they can, they have capacity. You understand? Yeah. And we've got the method and the processes carefully worked out. We know what our prices are. So we're kind of, put it like this, Organic Matters is set up to begin being a company. So within a year, then we can sit down and say, you know, are you making money or losing money? Right now we're investing. And I mean, the amount we're investing so you, is pretty you huge. Still, have you gotten more investment since your initial 50K? Uh, yeah, but that's been generated by the company's activities and its training facilities in itself. Okay, so you, you didn't need an outside investment? Um, uh, no, no. And you, you see, you can get outside investment and there's a time to do that. But it's kind of like, uh, I think you need to tie up your own shoelaces before doing something like that. Otherwise... If you have a sharp investor, he's going to own you. You're going to end up working for nothing. Um, or the company could, you could lose on the ground control of the company and it veers off in a direction that it shouldn't and then it can fail for those reasons. So you must at least be breaking even then. You're just reinvesting everything back into the company. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, uh, we're not breaking even in the sense that what we spend in a month is way less than what we make in a month. We survive because we have done some big jobs and we've saved money. Okay. Do you understand? We literally kept it for a reason that at this period in yeah. time, we need to set up an accountancy function. We will need a warehouse. We will need a point of sale. We will need an office with all of those uh, uh, functions and operators, vehicles, trucks, that kind of thing. The company now, you can say, it's like I told you, if I had a million bucks, this whole thing would have been easier because this <laughs> is the point I would have started at. You getting me? Okay. So right now we're just really, we're just starting. It's just been piloting and testing before. So this, this is a good segue to this question. Is, is organic matters at a, at a point that you thought you wanted to see it when you first started? Let's say right after your nine month period, uh, three years ago. Is it at that point right now? 
Um, so when you, you well, envisioned? I've, I haven't had any nasty surprises. Well, everything that's happened here, I expected. And I planned to use the strategy which I have used. I mean, it hasn't been the easiest way to do things, but the company has maintained its independence. It's debt-free. And right now, we are going to start retailing to the general public. Okay. And, and you know, this is a unique product without match or competition uh, locally. So, do you, um, these products that you start returning to the public, where do you make them? Do you import them? No, no. Uh, the main, the core company products, no. They're all produced here domestically. And you package it locally here? We do everything locally. I, I really, as little as possible, uh, when, when I think about importing things into Liberia, the less the better. Okay. I mean, you know, for, for the country, economically speaking, that, that situation has to change. Trading has to kind of be limited. Okay. Um, but I mean, there, there's just some things that are just you just have to import it because it's sure. easier to get it out. Right sure, sure, sure. But, but one thing I, I'm curious about, I'm, I know one of the challenges that businesses, especially uh, ones that are producing things in Liberia, face is like packaging, um, having uh, access to cheap um, uh, or affordable packaging, um, that must be that must be uh, really tough on your part, especially because when as you open the retail store, um, mm -hmm. a lot of your customers are going to be farmers. Who, I mean, the margins you're going to have to deal with with the farmers is is going to be pretty thin, right? So, yeah. how do you where do you source your packaging from? Well, I mean, your your question actually is broader spanning than even that. I mean, when it comes to packaging, that's not a hill I'm going to live and die on. Uh, the last team meeting we had with my guys, I told them, look, if anybody says something nasty about our packaging, because, you know, we, we wanted to get it a certain kind of way, but, you know, it's been very difficult to do that here. I just tell them, look, it's a good Christian product. You know, it's, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's humble on the outside, but it's very rich on the inside. So I make light of it. But at the end of the day, I've had uh, discussions and we just have to do something that's practical. You know, we can use carpenters, we can make templates, we can kind of do the labeling ourselves until somebody comes along in library and really takes up that function. Do you actually have like one of your, your products here? Uh, yeah, we have a lot sitting downstairs, oh, downstairs. but okay. because of this issue with bagging and labeling and this kind of thing, okay. of course they're unlabeled. But they're, all, all the clients that are buying from us know us well enough. Okay, so so most of your product right now is unlabeled. Mm -hmm. okay, we, okay. We've just come through a huge marketing and branding process that we were assisted uh, by Grow Liberia. Okay. That's the first time we've ever really engaged an NGO, and I, I was a little bit worried about it because I don't want to receive some kind of assistance that bloats the company out of shape and then once that assistant okay. disappears, you just implode. You want to ensure things so, are sustainable? Yeah, I mean, they, they came in and were like, look, we're not going to try and just pump you full of money until you, you, you know, burst and then we disappear. But um, they said, look, uh, we want to help with your QuickBooks and your accountancy function. We want to help with your marketing, your branding, your communications, that sort of thing. So they got together a team of guys from all, all around the world, really, and they came and assisted us in those uh, uh, functions, which was very useful because that's exactly the stage we were at. We were going to start doing stuff like that by ourselves. Um, and yeah, they gave that assistance uh, in a, a more hurried fashion 
than I would have done it uh, if I had gone alone. But um, it's the necessary thing we needed to get the company ready for establishment. Is, is there around, I noticed your logo changed, uh, not to, is that around the time that, that happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they assisted with that. They looked okay. at the previous logo and were like, mm, this isn't kind of unique. <laughs> and uh, uh, that, that tree from before, which I was quite attached to, I liked it, but it, it wasn't as rare and unique as you would have thought. Okay. Whereas now we have something a little, a little better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. But you know, the, cha the challenge uh, is widespread, uh, Jefferson, uh, every stage. I mean, from inputs, the collection of them, to the production process and everything. But you see, at Organic Matters, I mean, when, when you look at the company and you consider the aims and the goals of the company, I mean, the aim of Organic Matters is to utilize natural processes. When I say a natural process, I mean a process that happens without human intervention. It will happen anyway. We take these processes considering our environment, and Liberia has a very unique microclimate, and we enhance these processes, speed them up, make them really uh, strong, the reaction really strong. And we take that with either organic materials, uh, which are considered waste or renewable organic materials. We use those natural processes on them to create high-value consumer products at you know, very cheap prices, which can be a very useful here domestically, you understand? Um, and we don't take the shortcuts. You know, I mean, some people, I go out to a farm and they buy a lot of pigment and throw it on the farm and they're entering out a lot of soil diseases there because the thing wasn't treated and composted properly. It's much easier if you're a farmer, you just concentrate on farming or if you're doing your garden, you just concentrate on the fun and satisfaction you get from gardening and you just buy the unit input in a bag because believe me, I would do it quicker, faster and cheaper than most, most anyone can. Okay. Um, so yeah, it kind of, uh, it, it's, we're there to simplify and make possible farming. You understand? A farmer can get on and farm because his inputs are now controlled. Or any user of our product can focus on the use because the product is standardized. You understand? Okay. It's like if you're a taxi driver, you go to the gas station, you know where the station is, you know roughly what the prices are going to be, although recently we've kind of seen that, that might be a bad example. But you have to have that stable platform in order to be able to chart your business. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're just playing with dice. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just curious, um, in the next couple of years, or even the next five years, where do you want to see organic matters? Oh, wow. Um, I want to see organic matters. The closest thing to my heart is dealing with the agricultural aspect. Okay, but I, I mean the facts are is farmers, particularly here in Liberia, are a very conservative bunch with very low amounts of disposable income. So to change their minds is quite the challenge. 
um, and organic matters does a lot of subsidiary work in order to support that effort because ultimately organic matters will be a successful company when we can just sit up at, at our production site and sell units of fertilizer <coughs> all day long to people who are practiced to use it to make a profit themselves you understand uh, but to get to that stage, that that uh, you know, you're pushing down dominoes and seeing how far they can go, and sooner or later you will get one. But it's very hard to tell. I mean, of course, the marketing, the market increasing, the marketing reach, and you know, having training facility. We're setting up a demonstration farm where people can come in, they can actually see the product working, they can get hands-on training, this kind of thing. So these measures help the company go forward when it comes to agriculture. We, of course, we have the agricultural engineering, which has been an easier place to get revenue to support the other functions of the company. And that's still working. And of course, uh, you know, the one thing I love about the team at Organic Matters is we've really been under pressure at times. I mean, we were doing uh, uh, some work for uh, Norplan Finchner up in Mount Coffee, the owner's engineers, and we were pressed for time. And we had to plant certain things, but the time didn't allow us to nursery it. But we, you know, we managed to come up with a solution using some of our products where we could just do direct transplants of these grasses and they worked like a charm. We managed to keep in the time frame. And that's something that we may not have discovered had we not been under the pressure. You understand? And similarly, uh, I mean, right now, uh, of course, we sat down and said, okay, we're going to invest this amount of money in this, this, and this. And as time is flowing by and, you know, you have your monthly running costs hitting you and, you know, you're not in the store for two months longer than you expected. So all of your, your marketing is behind, your sales are behind, you're under pressure like that. You know, um, I'm sort of like, wow if we keep doing this and we run out of money before we've started turning this investment around, which is what needs to happen. The marketing needs to go before the sales and the sales has to start bringing that investment back to the company. Um, you know, we've had to get inventive. So, you know, we're looking at uh, producing green, green coal. You understand? Green coal. Green coal. Okay. You know, in like Liberia, everybody brings coal. Yeah, right. they, they use coal. We have uh, access to raw materials, which we can make into very clean burning, long lasting green coal. Uh, much in the and we could make the product very similar to what's currently sold in Liberia, which is charcoal wood. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, a lot of effects in deforestation and things like that that play and into this whole And by green, you mean sustainable, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, uh, like for example, the, the grasses that we use for the anti-erosion landscaping function we have, uh, part of the care of the nursery is we have to trim them to tiller, tiller these grasses. That's how they propagate. And when you trim them, you can use the cuttings, they can be used for various different things, but I think green coal is a good one that ticks the box for the company right now. And that's something that any banker would like, you know, high turnover, okay. uh, a very user-friendly product. You don't need uh, that deep market penetration to get it going, you know, so yeah. And I've done my calculations, so I know how much we need to produce to sustain the company's operations for a year. 
so that we're not under pressure and we can really take our time and work with the agricultural side and really get it moving because that's where the efforts really required and that's where the dividends for Liberia as, as a whole, like us as a community, that's where it will really pay off. Organic matter is just making a, a, a lot of money doesn't necessarily help everyone else, yeah. but the agricultural aspect can have a huge impact in livelihoods. Um, and equally something like green coal. I mean, we could make it a hell of a lot cheaper than normal coal. Um, it's way better for your health. Uh, it's, uh, it will last longer, so you'll spend less money and you might end up with some disposable income at the end of the day. And also, you know, to a lot of our international partners, they place a high premium uh, on our high carb carbon forests, which, you know, by benefits of the war, we still have a lot left, uh, less and less every year. But uh, the less sort of coal and planking gets done, the better, for, the better for that whole ecosystem as well, which could, you know, in generations to come, turn out to be some huge tourist industry right there. Okay. You know, there's no point eliminating that possibility right now just for some small needs, you know, small thing, small thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, I'm, I'm a little curious. We've, we've talked a lot about business, business, business. What what inspires you outside of um, outside of organic matters right now? Um, what inspires me? Uh, well, there's a couple of things. You know, I mean, I have a family. I have a young family. You know, and we all live here. You know, and when you're in that kind of situation, you start thinking, you know, school, healthcare, this kind of thing, you know, roads, that kind of thing. So this is something I've been communicating to my friends abroad, because what I want to do is try and get as many of them down as possible so that, you know, there's more people gunning for those kind of things. But what actually inspires me, I mean, it, it's, it is separate from my company in the sense that, uh, the people who work for me, I've seen them kind of grow because they've, they've been trained, they've come into the function, they believe in the company, they believe in what it's doing, so their commitment has, has changed, their loyalty is there, and they're, they're more inspired to work. Um, and of course, I'm looking forward to the situation where I can give people a contract for a year, two years, three years, because they're so good at their job that there's nobody else who can do it. You understand? And what I've sort of started noticing with a lot of my guys is they know their company's taking care of them and they take care of the company likewise. But it's nice when I see my guys making plans for the future, you know? Um, this is uh, building houses, you know, being more fussy about schools their kids go to, <laughs> telling me, you know, that little girl is getting, getting very fat because of organic matters, you know, I'm, it, it cheers me <laughs> up. Um, but, uh, I mean, in Bensonville, or sorry, Bental, yeah. it used to be called Bensonville in, in the old days. Um, but uh, one of the community members came to me then, you know, I was very touched by what they said. Um, because a lot of the guys who are working out there at the production site were very, very heavy physical work. They're all local guys, you understand. Um, and he told me, you know, 
years before, when you came here first, we thought you were completely crazy. You know, brushing this bush and piling it up and doing all this kind of nonsense. We thought you were just crazy and sooner or later you'd, you know, you'd disappear, you know, your money would finish that kind of thing. But uh, you've really shown us something that we completely overlooked. Um, you know, I have a standing offer there. Anybody in the entire Bental area can make compost. We will go and buy it from you. You know, so if you're really smart, you can actually uh, do a thing. But, um, you know, he, he just said, you know, before there used to be, you know, high rates of alcoholism, not so many kids were in school, more violence, that kind of thing. But he said, uh, your company in the local areas really helped out. He said, you know, you don't really get incidents like that anymore. You know, basically like people run generators now, setting up uh, the entertainment areas. They're, they're investing in their community okay. a little bit, which is this whole thing about once you have these immediate needs met, yeah. you start to think about other stuff mm -hmm. apart from just what you're going to eat here and now. You understand? And that's a very important thing. And it really cheered me up because that's, that's one of the principal reasons that I wanted to come back to Liberia. And everything I want to do is geared towards consumer products which are done on a massive scale so that it actually takes general living standards and puts them up to a level where people can just relax that little bit more and not be under pressure whole day every day. You understand? Um, you know, I, I want to get into making sea salt and biogas and things like that because things like that will have that direct impact. And I don't, I, I, I disagree. I don't think life needs to be as hard as it is. You understand? We're in Liberia. There's a lot of things here we can do right now. Okay. You, you know, we're, we're not going to make Silicon Valley down in Buchanan or put, you know, satellites into space. That's never going to happen. Uh, not right now, you know, not certainly not in my generation, but you know, there's very practical stuff we could do right now, which just involves good communication and organization, not even money. Yeah. You understand? And we got to cover all those bases to start picking things up, you know? Okay. So for this series, um, uh, this question I'm going to be asking all the uh, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And a trick question. <laughs> yeah. Go on, man. So this is not really a trick question. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you think Liberia needs more? Um, government intervention or private sector intervention? Um, it's a combination of both those things. You know, the government and the private sector both need to function in their various capacities and they need to proceed in their various fields. You know, the government is more like the referee and the private sector is like the players and the two can't cross lines. So that's, it's important that everybody functions in their role uh, correctly. Um, but uh, I think the, the, the thing that needs to change the most in Liberia is the basic family unit needs to be more coherent. You understand? That's what needs to, to change. Uh, people have to be given the ability to stay together and have a life and raise their kids. This is this whole thing about being under too much pressure. That, that whole situation has to be alleviated before you can talk about anything more com complex. Um, 
Because, you know, one of the reasons, and I, I, I feel awkward saying this, because who am I to, to criticize anybody? Um, but, you know, we have over three million Liberians in Liberia right now. And a huge percentage of Liberians right now, because they're under so much pressure, they wake up and spend the major part of the day making very bad decisions. You understand? And if you're in a country where the bulk of the population is so disenfranchised that they are making these bad decisions day in, day out, day in, day out, you, you've got a battle. Because no, no matter what you do, you're going to be putting Band-Aid on a gunshot wound, you know? Uh, what needs to be addressed is the, the sort of desperation issue. I, I wouldn't... Uh, the immediate felt needs, you know? Liberia needs a lot of teachers, a lot of healthcare. That's what I wish the NGOs did. And I wish they didn't go much further than that. That's a personal thing. Um, and with the other stuff, we have to really learn how to work together in labor. We, we, we're not too good at doing that. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of, you know, partisan, tribalistic uh, separations and divisions and distinctions that, you know, create a lot of barriers, none of which are good for us, you know? I'm not saying lose your heritage and lose your history. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying uh, it shouldn't be, you know, we have to have a meritocracy, you know, where people are respected for their work and those who do the right thing and do the good job get promoted, you know. If I had had less money, I would have set up an employment agency to track this kind of thing. You know, that would be a great idea, you know. Um, but yeah. I hope other people will come to Liberia and engage in business because, you know, something that would be interesting is like watchdog groups, you know, who's policing all these mechanics out there to tell you, the customer, who's a good mechanic, who's five star and who's one star and who's three star, what you should pay for this and what you shouldn't pay for that. You know, that's a whole thing that needs to be regulated so that the good people can come out on top and be investable. You understand? You need to solve that whole issue. I mean, here we don't, we haven't even decided to do addresses yet. You know, we have to kind of organize things. And this is where the government needs to come into function. This, this isn't like, you know, uh, something that requires a huge amount of money, you know. But uh, we have to organize, categorize and do things more systematically and be able to record uh, what's going on and check up on it and maintain it. You know, when you say government and private industry, one can't function without the other, Jefferson. You know, they're both needed. You need the players on the field, but you also need the referee because it can get ridiculous out there. You play football, don't you? <laughs> you ever try playing with no referee on the field? <laughs> They'll flog you there. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wow. <laughs> You're going to